Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the Watt. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Before we roll the audio on this PFT Live podcast, we want you to know that Mike Florio does an afternoon podcast. Why? To catch all the late-breaking news and developing stories in the NFL, of course. So you got to subscribe to PFT PM as well. Go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Art19, or Google Play. Search PFT PM and subscribe. Boom. Done. Thanks for the support. Now, stats. Another hour of the PFT Live podcast. It's a Monday edition of Pro Football Talk Live NBA. NBC Sports Radio. We are in Miami Radio Row Media Center for the entire week. Super Bowl 54, six days away, and we will be here throughout the week, live every day. NBC Sports Radio, six to nine a.m. Eastern, and on NBCSN. We usually do the two hours live, seven to nine Eastern, with the re-air from nine to eleven, and we will do that Monday and Tuesday as the week begins to build. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We're going to be live on NBCSN for four straight hours. The guest list, incredible. Producers have done a great job of, number one, getting the people. Number two, organizing them into a semi-reasonable structure that it's now up to Sims and I to try to execute over the course of the next five days. But it's going to be an active week, a fun week, and we're going to try to bring you as much information, as much fun, as much context, as much build up to Super Bowl 54 as we possibly can. And the week is beginning in a strange way for everyone, for every sports fan. And usually sports is the diversion to that heavy thing that happens in life that rattles everyone, that shocks everyone, that stuns everyone. And I'm used to having this conversation in recent years after some sort of a mass shooting. I've done it six, seven times where we've come on the air, we've talked about it, we've explained that we're here to provide the diversion, we try to provide some context. And now for the first time in all the years I've been doing this, the area that typically provides the diversion for all the other things in life, that's providing the thing that has created for everyone a shared, collected sense of tragedy and loss. 
with the passing of Kobe Bryant. Tragic in and of itself, making it more tragic, his 13-year-old daughter Gianna with him on a helicopter. Even more tragic, seven others on that helicopter as well that went down yesterday morning in Southern California. And it feels like a moment, not that this has happened at any point in our lifetimes, it feels like the passing of a president. The passing of a pope has happened in our lifetimes. It, it made me think, ultimately, of when Elvis Presley died. Because it's one person who was intensely famous, who everyone knew of to the point where many thought they knew him, a boy who became a man over a course of years, before our eyes, and it, it resonates with everyone. I mean, really, since Elvis Presley, I can't think of another situation like this where that one moment, that one jolt, brings so many people together, upsets so many people, unites people, and ultimately gives people, and you know, perspective is trite, but it does give people perspective. It is a reminder. And we all have reminders in our own individual lives that come up when there is a sickness, a death, or something like that. There's a reminder of the broader perspective of life. This is one of those that reminds us all at the same time. It's that common shock to the system. It's a universal shock to the system that essentially comes out of the blue. And it's something we all have to process. And we'll be processing it throughout the course of the day. Sims and I will talk about it once we're on NBCSN. Just a stunning and shocking event. And it's one of those, and I remember at some point learning that, that psychological dynamic of when something like this happens, you remember where you were when you heard it. You always will remember where you were when you heard it. It's that kind of a shock. And that's something that people will be able to tell that story years from now. I remember where I was when I heard about Kobe Bryant. I remember exactly where I was. I remember how I heard about it. I remember how I felt. I remember how the rest of the day felt. And most people were a combination of numb, stunned. I saw Sam Farmer, the LA Times, point out that in his experience, every few minutes, he's reminding himself that this is real. Yeah, I don't cover the NBA. I can't imagine how I would feel if this was a sport that I intensely covered, if this was somebody I personally knew, if this was, if this was a career that I had followed much more closely than in casual passing like so many did. But even the people who followed the NBA in the most casual way, affected by what occurred yesterday, by the tragedy, by the loss. And, you know, even though Kobe Bryant hadn't played basketball in several years, it felt like his story in many ways was beginning, that there was something big that he was going to do, that there was something more he was going to bring, that he was going to become as big, if not bigger, beyond his playing career than he was. There was just that sense that it was moving in that direction, that vague sense that it was just happening. Wasn't quite sure how, wasn't quite sure when, but there was just a sense of promise and potential to come over the next 30, 40, 50 years for Kobe Bryant, which is unusual because for most athletes, the window closes on the playing career and then what happens after the playing career is just more of, well, what are you doing now? For some reason, and I don't fully comprehend this, and I'm not sure many do, for some reason with Kobe Bryant, there was a sense that there was something bigger in store. There was this vague but unmistakable sense that there was something more. 
And I think that contributes to the tragedy. So many of these different factors contribute to the tragedy. Kobe Bryant was 41, survived by his wife Vanessa, three daughters, Natalia, Bianca, and Capri. And also on the helicopter, Orange Coast College baseball coaching legend John Altabelli, his wife Carrie, their daughter Alyssa. Altabelli was the coach at OCC for 27 years, leading the Pirates to four state titles and notching more than 700 wins. He was 56 years old. And the Kobe Bryant basketball legacy, incredible. He was the youngest player ever in the NBA, came straight out of high school, inspired LeBron James in that way. Five-time NBA champion, two-time NBA Finals MVP, 2008 NBA MVP, 18-time All-Star, 18 times second most in league history, four-time All-Star Game MVP, two Olympic gold medals, fourth all-time in scoring. LeBron James had just passed Kobe Bryant on Saturday night. 81 points in 2006, second highest game total ever behind Wilt Chamberlain's 100 in 1962. And also, and this is what amazed me, because we're getting close to award season, the Oscars are coming up a couple of years ago. He won an Oscar for a short film, Best Animated Short Film, Dear Basketball. Eligible for the Hall of Fame in September, undoubtedly will be inducted posthumously and just uh, a, a stunning and shocking and saddening day. Um, NFL has issued a statement. The NFL extends its deep condolences to the friends and families of all those who lost their lives in today's accident, including NBA legend Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gianna. Kobe was an extraordinary athlete who thrilled and entertained sports fans around the world for a generation. Our thoughts are with the Bryant family, Kobe's fans, his teammates, the Lakers organization, and the NBA. And it, it you know, this is the first major incident like this that, that played out in the age of full-blown and fully matured social media. And, and it was, it was, it almost added to the grief to scroll through Twitter yesterday and just see how people were grasping to deal with it. How many different people it affected that shared common grief on display on your timeline as you scroll. And, and people affected in every walk of life, everyone you know, every sport, every industry, everyone you follow, people were affected by it. People were dumbfounded by it. People were saddened by it. And we'll all be grieving the loss of Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gianna, and the others who perished in that helicopter crash uh, for days, weeks, months to come. All right. Now, this is where I say we provide the diversion. And again, usually sports is the diversion from that heavy non-sports event that's happened. This is the first time where, and it's just a weird kind of a turn. We're, we're here to talk about football. We're here to provide you with something to get you ready for the Super Bowl, to get your mind off of the things that may be bothering you. And that's what we're going to try to do for the balance of the show. So when we return, we are going to focus on the Super Bowl that is only six days away. And Richard Sherman had some things to say about those who have some things to say about Jimmy Garoppolo. We'll tell you what Sherman had to say when PFT Live continues right after this. Monday edition of Pro Football Talk Live here from Miami Radio Row. It is so quiet that first day, that first morning. You look around, you see all the tables, 
where the radio stations are going to be. You see the TV networks that have their bigger sets. Ours is getting a little bit bigger and bigger every year. It's like the, the, the roof is getting a little bit higher and higher. It, uh, it's a lot of lights. It's a lot of cameras. And hopefully a lot of action this week as we bring in, I don't know, somewhere between 25 and 30 guests, I think. It is going to be a lot of fun. At some point over the course of the next half hour, Sims is going to be blown in here. Hurricane Sims will walk in, and you will know he's coming. You'll hear him. You'll probably hear him through this microphone because it is fairly quiet here right now. So the moment he shows up, it will no longer be quiet. And he'll lock in, he'll paint his face, and he'll be ready to go at 7 a.m. Eastern when we slide over to NBCSM. All right, so the teams are in Miami. And before Richard Sherman and the 49ers headed from California, Sherman had to sit down with our buddy Tyler Dunn of Bleacher Report, who does excellent work there. We've known him for a long time. He's been on the program in the past. Just a Q&A, a little back and forth, several different topics. And one of the issues that came up, because last week Jimmy Garoppolo spent some time talking about how he deals with criticism in comparison to Richard Sherman, because Richard Sherman basically keeps a list, you know, like Ryan when he went back to Dunder Mifflin after he went to jail, he was keeping a list of everyone who wronged him and he was going to get his revenge. That's kind of how Sherman is. And Garoppolo's kind of the same way. But Garoppolo's not as verbal about it. He's not as outwardly willing to talk about it, but it's there and it drives him. So Sherman was asked about the criticism of his quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo. And in a nutshell, Sherman said, idiots sound like idiots at this point, which actually is very profound. Idiots sound like idiots. Yes, they do. Idiots do sound like idiots. Now, it doesn't really provide us a lot of substance or context to what actually Sherman means, but you know, the bottom line is this. The criticism of Jimmy Garoppolo isn't coming from anything he's actually done. It's coming from what he's not doing. That's what's so strange about it. He had one interception in the postseason. And if you look at the stat sheet, The only thing that stands out is he's not throwing the ball very much. 19 times against the Vikings, 8 times against the Packers. But it's the fact that there's a sense, if you watch the games, there's a sense that maybe a couple of near misses from Garoppolo freaked out 49ers coach Kyle Shanahan, prompting him to go run heavy and adopt the attitude that we're going to keep running until you stop us. Period. You have to stop us. 16 straight runs in the second half of the Vikings game. Only eight passes and 42 runs in the Packers game. So the criticism of Garoppolo isn't, hey, you threw four interceptions, or hey, you missed a wide-open guy, or hey, you made a bad decision, or hey, why didn't you throw the ball away instead of taking the sack and fumbling it? It's just, well, he must not be very good or they'd be using him more. And I just, I can't help but wonder whether and to what extent that's going to influence the game plan. I don't think it will. I think Kyle Shanahan's approach is going to continue to be do what we have to do to win. And if you can run the ball, think about this. If you can run the ball effectively, there are so many fewer things that can go wrong if you run the ball. You can fumble. You can have a bad exchange from the quarterback to the running back. When you pass the ball, be tipped, intercepted, returned for a touchdown, sacked, fumbled. There's all sorts of things that can go wrong when you pass the ball. When you run the ball, you limit dramatically the window of opportunity for a worst-case scenario. And if they can't stop you, why are you stopping? Like, do you feel guilty? Oh, this is too easy. We should do something else. No, keep doing what works. 
we got to run to set up the pass. No, let's run to set up the run. And let's keep running until they stop us from running. Let's just keep running. Let's run. The problem is, it's putting Garoppolo in the crosshairs. Dunn asked Sherman, is it a good thing if the quarterback doesn't have to throw the ball? Sherman said, once again, it's people telling you how to win. Like, hey, we don't care that you're winning by double digits every game. You're not winning the way we want you to, so let's criticize him. That's really not the case. Look, here's the thing. In the 70s, they realized the way to market the game of professional football to the biggest audience possible was to embrace the concept of throwing the ball. And they relaxed the rules to make it easier to throw the ball. And it created an incentive to throw the ball. So star quarterbacks are no longer the guy who manages the game and hands it off and Bob greases his way to a couple of championships, throwing 11 passes in one Super Bowl and seven in another. That's not how he does it. That's not how you build a legacy. When the quarterback job fundamentally changes to a guy who passes the ball, if all of a sudden you're a guy who's not passing the ball, you're not a good quarterback. You're not doing the job. You're doing what anyone could do. Anyone can hand off. That's the challenge, and that's the problem for the 49ers and for Garoppolo. You are going to criticize him for winning a certain way. You're going to criticize the quarterback. What's he there for? Why are you pay him $27.5 million if he's not going to throw the football? And that's really the question that looms over this Super Bowl. If the Chiefs are able to stop the San Francisco running game, can Garoppolo throw the ball as needed when you consider the fact that... Now, look, I don't want to take anything away from what he accomplished in the regular season. They had some big wins. He made some big throws. But how long has it been since he's had to make a big throw? Has he had to make a big throw in the postseason? Did he have to make a big throw against the Packers? And then all of a sudden, if plan A for Super Bowl 54 is we're going to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, and they hit a brick wall, hey, Jimmy, go save our bacon here. We know you haven't had to make a big throw in a big spot in like five weeks, but have at it. It's the Super Bowl. It's only the Super Bowl, and you're dueling Patrick Mahomes. Have fun with that. It's an amazing, amazing situation for a quarterback to be in. And by all appearances, he's unaffected and he's unfazed by it. As Sims has said, he's kind of a meathead. He's kind of oblivious to it. Tyler Dunn asked Richard Sherman if Sherman is confident that Garoppolo can throw the ball to win if the running game isn't there. And Sherman very adroitly dodged the question. Is Sherman confident Garoppolo can do it? Sherman said, we're the number one seed going into the Super Bowl. We're as confident as we're going to be. That doesn't answer the question. He didn't say, I'm confident in Jimmy. He didn't say it. And I think that the fair assessment is, we don't know at this point what's going to happen. If they can't run the ball, we don't know. And that's okay. We're going to find out if they can't run the ball. We may not find out. We may not find out. From Garoppolo's perspective, at some point, I think that he'd probably prefer to have the opportunity to show that he can make the big throw in the big spot so people will shut up about it. But for now, we don't know. Kyle Shanahan last week, talking to the media, was asked about Jimmy Garoppolo and was asked about the concept of coaching him hard and getting him to the point where he's ready to make the right throws at the right time in the right spot. Here's Shanahan talking about how he coaches Jimmy G. 
I can get, I, I have a, can be a little bit of a hothead. He's probably a little more um, calm and has a more even demeanor to him, which I, th I think we pair together very well that way. Um, but it's, I think we're pretty close and to where um, he knows how I am and I know how he is. So um, regardless of how we are on a given minute or a given play, we're both competitive people. And um, we both know we're both here to try to help each other be the best we can be. And um, whenever you have that, you can just genuinely coach someone and not have to worry about anything else. Just whatever's in your mind, you let it come out of your mouth. And um, when someone knows what your intentions are and um, who you are as a person, it um, really doesn't matter how you show your personality. When I hear Kyle Shanahan discuss the way that he coaches Jimmy Garoppolo, I can't help but think about John Gruden and Derek Carr. Because Shanahan with Garoppolo is able to be himself fully, completely, and unvarnished without any concern that anything he says is going to leave a scar, is going to leave a mark. And I feel like with Gruden and Carr, Gruden has spent the last two years tiptoeing around the possibility of bruising Derek Carr's ego by being as candid as maybe he would like to be. But Shanahan can do that with Garoppolo. And the fact Garoppolo is unaffected, unfazed, internalizes that criticism, keeps his list more quietly than Sherman does, I tend to think he'll be fine if they can't run the ball against the Chiefs. And again, we still may not find out, and Garoppolo will be fine with that as well because he'll still be carrying around the silver trophy either way. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we return... I need to address one more time, and I hope this is the last time, the things that were said last week about Patrick Mahomes, because some things were said by former players on Friday that you need to hear. We'll play it for you next, right here on Pro Football Talk Live. You know, when I was a kid, I had a reputation in my household for being a little bit of a smartass, and I typically was aware when I was getting myself potentially into trouble, and you would do that cost-benefit analysis. Is it worth getting spanked? over saying that thing, over getting that zinger in on mom. Is it worth it? Sometimes it was worth it. I'll admit. But I knew I was doing it. You go into it clear-eyed. You go into it clean conscious. I know I'm doing this, and I know I'm going to get in trouble, and I know it's going to be worth it, even if it isn't. And every once in a while, I would find myself in a predicament where I said something that I didn't know was going to result in the type of reaction that in the early 70s a parent would impose upon a child who was saying and doing things they shouldn't do, i.e. corporal punishment. It didn't happen very often, though. I developed a pretty good sense of when I was approaching the line, when I was crossing the line, and when I would be corrected and put back on the right path, knowing full well that I was crossing the line. And I say all that because last week was one of these experiences where, what the hell did I say? What the hell did I do? How did this become a thing? This whole issue with how the 49ers could and possibly should defend against Patrick Mahomes, based upon how the Titans failed to defend against Patrick Mahomes as a runner, born of something we've been discussing for months, how defensive players freak out when they are faced with that gray area of the quarterback maybe close to the sideline, the quarterback's running in the open field. We never know when he's going to decide to slide, and it may be too late. We may have committed to hitting him, and there's nothing we can do about it other than take the flag because we can't stop now, right? We've noticed time and again that defensive players become paralyzed by that gray area. 
We saw it happen to the Titans. And what did we see? The end result. We saw Patrick Mahomes with a 27-yard touchdown run that was the game breaker. It was over after that. Score was 21-17. Didn't matter at that point. Game was over after that play. That was the knife in the heart of the Tennessee Titans. And the issue came up last week with the Super Bowl on the line. The 49ers may defend against a running quarterback differently than the Titans did. I've noticed other teams that are more aggressive when a quarterback runs, like the Patriots when Josh Allen ran it week four and got blown up, like Carson Wentz got it from Jadavian Clowney with an illegal hit, should have been flagged, should have been fined. We debated whether or not it was a dirty play based upon Jadavian Clowney's history. It was hard to call it dirty. If it had been Avantez Burfick, we would have called it dirty. But the point is, we were discussing, Peter King and I last week, where this goes from here in light of what happened to the Titans. And I said what I said. I meant what I said. And I'm at the point where I'm done trying to explain it. I'm done trying to defend it. I'm done trying to get people to see anything other than what they want to see or hear anything other than what they want to hear. If they're determined to believe that I said something that I didn't say, there's not a damn thing I can do about it. Not a damn thing at all. And it was funny because on Friday, there was an effort, I believe, I believe this was being set up as an effort on FS1 Speak for Yourself to cajole a trio of former players into pouncing on my take, into criticizing me for being reckless and irresponsible, for even mentioning the possibility that if there's anything that happens remotely close to the gray area, that the 49ers defense possibly won't stand there and watch Patrick Mahomes run right by them. And I was as clear as I could be. And again, I'm done defending it. I'm done explaining it. I just need to give you the context. I was as clear as I could be that I'm not talking about trying to injure the guy. I was as clear as I could be. I'm talking about if he runs it and becomes a running back, you go hit him like a running back. That's all I was saying. So anyway, the former players who I think were supposed to sign on to this idea that what I said was in some way reckless and irresponsible and not indicative of the modern game, they weren't having any of it. Here's LeVar Arrington on FS1 Speak for Yourself responding to the backlash against me for the things that I said last week. I take issue with the backlash. I take issue with the interpretation of it in terms of why should it be stated or the safety of our game and different things. like He didn't say to go out there and hurt Patrick Mahomes. There's a difference between saying going out there and taking a chance where there could be a risk of you getting a, a penalty infraction versus going out there and hurting him. If Mike Florio said... This is what San Francisco needs to do. When Mahomes takes off, you need to jump on him. You need to slam his head down. You need to you need to try to hit his legs. You need to do something to debilitate him so that it can impact the game. That isn't what he said. There is a there is a thing called a woo lick, a, a tone setter. We all know about that. Lyman know about it. I got the worst woo lick ever no, from didn't. Larry Allen. That is why football is so special. That's why it's America's sport, mm. because you test your metal, you test your, your preparation and your abilities. Mm. And I think the softer this game gets, when we have to talk about what Florio says and try to decipher what that is, I think we're going down Just, the bad I, I road. Yeah, now, that's LeVar Arrington, guy who played in the league six, seven years, second overall pick in the draft, and he gets it. He understands what I was saying. Rich Ornberger was also on the panel. He said we were all coached that way to coach and play up to the echo of the whistle. A questionable call is only questionable because it's close. So, I mean, if Patrick Mahomes, if the motto in the defensive meeting room for the 49ers is, look, 
We're not going to have many chances because he's a magician, but when you have a clean shot at him, take it and let him remember. Even if this is like near the sideline, nothing Florio said was necessarily illegal, but could be conceived as illegal or perceived as illegal by an official on the field. And that is the point once again. It's that gray area that the defensive players for too many teams get freaked out about. They don't want to go near the gray area. So while they're trying to figure out in real time what the hell they're going to do, the quarterback keeps running. All the way back to week one, Matt Ryan of the Falcons against the Vikings. He's heading toward the sideline. He acts like he's pulling up. The Viking players pull up, and he runs another 10 yards because the players get freaked out in the gray area. That's what it was all about. Now, that's my point. That was my point then. It's my point now. And, if again, if anybody wants to think I said something other than what I said, there's nothing I can do about it. Go ahead and think that. You're incorrect. If you want to be incorrect, that's your prerogative. But what amazed me is the more they talked about it on FS1, the more the facade began to fade away. And eventually, eventually, former NFL player Marcellus Wiley, co-host of Speak for Yourself on FS1, went far beyond anything I said and went to that place where I know defensive players go because I've heard how they talk about it and I've heard how they are coached to do things like this when a quarterback decides to run the football. Here's Marcellus Wiley taking it much farther than I ever could have, would have, or in any event should have. Here's Marcellus Wiley. He's taking advantage of the rules that are trying to protect him. Last three games, he's run 22 times, leaning into his inner Lamar Jackson because he knows that out there, it's not hell to pay like it was yesterday. Mm -hmm. But these coaches are now saying, look, there still is a risk-reward relationship. And let's be real, as much as I was a part of the fraternity and brotherhood, if I could knock Tom Brady out and see him next time, that's what I want to do. But it's not do. even about knocking him out, Whit. Like, but I want to. It's not. Yes, it I don't want not, to. Lamar, it's, though, it it's, not, look, it's not. It's not. I'm going to tell Mahomes out. It's about getting the hit and sending the message, yeah. making no, no, him no. uncomfortable. And, and, but, but, I want to knock him out. But <laughs> if you're playing against him, you do. <laughs> if sure. you're playing against him, yes. In the Super Bowl, yes, you do. Oh. Now, now, there was a lot going on there. But Marcellus Wiley was the common thread through this, pushing the idea in the Super Bowl, you want to knock the guy out. Tom Brady? As much as I was a part of the fraternity and brotherhood, if I could knock Tom Brady out and see him next time, that's what I wanted to do. That's what I want to do. If you're playing against him, yes. In the Super Bowl, yes, you do. That's a guy who played in the NFL, pro bowler, big contract with the Chargers. That's how football players think. And again, what he said, well over the line. If I had said that last week, then I would have fully embraced the punishment that comes along with it, just like I did when I was a kid and I was a smartass and I knew that I was being a smartass and I knew I was going to get spanked for it. That's what Wiley said well over that line. And I don't know, maybe it's okay because he's a former player. I don't know. Nobody's put that clip on Twitter yet of Marcellus Wiley, so people haven't had the opportunity to lose their minds about it yet. It was just a weird, weird few days. So I'm done with it. That's it. It's all we're saying about it. And I've already gotten a request from one of the radio stations in Kansas City to go on and talk about it. And, and I won't shy away from that because I want to make sure people understand exactly what the context is, what was said and what wasn't said. Because there are too many people out there who see a reckless headline like, oh, he's encouraged, encouraging the 49ers to injure Patrick Mahomes. No, I don't know how many different ways I could have said it. That's not the point. But the reality is you've got guys in that 49ers locker room You've got guys in those defensive meeting rooms, and you're going to have guys on that football field that saw what happened against the Titans, saw Patrick Mahomes run right by those guys into the end zone because they were paralyzed by the fear of hitting a running quarterback, and that was the entire point. 
at some point you're going to come up against a team that isn't going to reside in that fear, that is coached a different way. That was the point, and that continues to be the point. And uh, it was refreshing, especially because I feel like that session was set up to be more unfair criticism of what I said, and three former players were having none of it. I got a link to it at profootballtalk.com. You can watch the full 10 minutes. The host was doing his damnedest to get them to sign on, and all three of these former players were not having it, that that's not the way football is played. Even in this era of unprecedented consciousness for safety, if you're going to choose to give up the rules that apply to you as a quarterback and run the football, you become a running back, and there are too many defensive players that just refuse to embrace the fact that the quarterback as a running back is a fair target for hitting that quarterback just like you would hit a running back. And that's the way to deter the guy from running the football. That was the point, is the point, and always will continue to be the point, as articulated in a way by three former players that at least for one of them went well beyond the point that I was trying to make last week. When we return, Russell Wilson, is he trying to make a point to the Seattle Seahawks about what he would like them to do this offseason? We'll talk about that when PFT Live continues right after this. Russell Wilson has a reputation that has been well-earned over the years of being a guy who never says anything remotely controversial. And that's fine. Look, I just spent a whole segment continuing to try to mop up on aisle three over something I said that was, in the opinion of some, a little too close to the line, if not over it. So maybe there's something valuable in never saying anything that is remotely interesting because then no one can ever give you a hard time for it. But that background is important for Russell Wilson because given the fact that he never says anything that is remotely controversial and thus never says anything that is remotely interesting, oh, he'll be on the show later this week, he, he, said, he said something recently at the Pro Bowl that caught my attention because this is out of character for Russell Wilson. Now, we really don't know, and, and I love Russell Wilson. I, I am as much a fan of Russell Wilson as Sims is of Aaron Rodgers. But, but, there's always that question with Russell Wilson as to whether or not you're getting the real guy or just what he wants to present to the world. And that's fine. We all present a version of ourselves to the world that may be different than that person that rolls out of bed in the morning and or, you know, has had a rough day and or maybe not in their best overall frame of mind because of the stresses and pressures of life. We can't be the same person all the time. But with Wilson, there's always that question. Is this the real guy? Is he really like this all the time? And I wonder what else is going on under that facade. And here's what's going on under that facade as it relates to what he'd like to see the Seahawks do. Now that they are knocking on the door again. He told me during the 2018 season, it feels like 2012 all over again, which implies 2019 could be 2013, i.e. Super Bowl win. In the aftermath of 2019, Pete Carroll, the coach of the team, said it feels like 2012 all over again, which means 2013 is still yet to be resurrected. So how do they get back there? Appearing on ESPN, and this comes courtesy of Bob Condotta of the Seattle Times, Wilson said, I think we need a couple more players. I think we need a couple more. Jadavian Clowney is a big-time guy that we would love to get back on our football team. He was so good in the locker room. He brought so many just havoc plays to the field. Hopefully we can get a few other players there on the defense. Then also on offense. We have a great offense, but I think we can always add more pieces. I think that's going to be the part that's going to be great with GM John Schneider and Coach Pete Carroll as well in terms of this offseason's free agency. Free agency is very, very key to getting those superstars on your team and try to get great players that can fill the space. Okay, that's Russell Wilson. And 
after paying attention to him for the last decade, that's probably the most controversial thing he's ever said. Because what he's saying is, hey, Schneider, hey, Carroll, go out there and get these guys. You know, other times when quarterbacks have said things like that, the blowback has been, it's not your place. It's not your job. Do your job. Your job isn't to tell us who to put on the team. Now, look, my opinion on that has been, if you want the quarterback to act like a member of management, then you got to include him for the management decisions. That still doesn't make it okay to go public with it. That's what's stunning about this. This isn't Russell Wilson parking his butt in John Schneider's office saying, I want this guy, I want that guy, I want that guy. This is Russell Wilson firing a general shot across the bow at the front office and the coaching staff, challenging them to go out and get better players. And no, it's funny. What's the reaction among the current players? Yeah, yeah, unless they replace us. Yeah, go out and get some better players unless I get cut. Yeah, I want that guy here as long as he doesn't play my position. So, look, Russell Wilson's thinking about his legacy. He's got one Super Bowl win, and it was six years ago. That's a long time in the NFL. A long time. Since then, it's been Patriots, Broncos, Patriots, Eagles, Patriots, 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 Patriots. I mean, it's just been a constant stream of teams other than the Seattle Seahawks. And Russell Wilson wants to have more than one pelt on the wall when it's all said and done. And I think eight years in, he's recognizing not that the clock is ticking, but he's going to, in the blink of an eye, be in a spot where the clock begins to tick. And he's getting closer to the end than the beginning. He's kind of having not quite his football midlife crisis, but he sees his football midlife crisis coming, if that makes any sense. And there's a good chance it does not. He's eight years in. He wants to play until he's 45. He's 31. He's going to be at the midpoint soon. Where will you be at the midpoint? Where will you be? Will you have that legacy that has you among the top seven to 10 quarterbacks of all time? What kind of numbers will you have? See, and for a guy like Russell Wilson, who's never going to have gigantic, enormous, ridiculous passing numbers, how do you distinguish yourself? You do it with championships. You do it with competing for championships. And the urgency is enhanced by the fact that he's in the division with the 49ers, who seem to be on the front end of something special. The Rams, who, even though they didn't make the playoffs this year, are still going to be a very dangerous team for as long as Sean McVay is the head coach. And the Cardinals, who have shown promise, who beat the Seahawks. Week 16, throwing a wrench into their effort to win the division. So I think Russell Wilson is starting to get a little anxious about what he's accomplished and how many more spins of the dial he has to try to get championship, 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 and at the end of the day, be in that stratosphere of quarterback where we place a Tom Brady, where we place a Drew Brees, where we place a Peyton Manning. I mean, look at Eli Manning. Eli Manning's got two Super Bowl wins, and there's a raging debate over whether or not he's a Hall of Famer. Well, Russell's got one. And what kind of numbers is he really going to have at the end of the day? If he plays until he's 42, 43, 44, what kind of numbers will he have when he's in an offense that isn't letting him throw the ball the way we see other great quarterbacks throw the ball? I think all those things are rocketing around in his brain as he gets closer and closer to the midpoint of his career. And that caused him to slide out of character it caused him to publicly drop his guard and say what he believes. And what he believes is the team around him 
isn't as good as it needs to be, and he wants it to be better. Period. Via additions on defense, offense, and all just some superstars. What do you need? Hey, Russell, what do you want this offseason? Oh, just a few superstars. Okay, we'll get right on that. Yeah, we got some superstars. Okay. Any specific superstars? Just superstars. Just a general request for superstars? All right, we got you covered. We got you covered for the next two hours. Sims is here, and let me tell you, I got to give him a gold star. He's got his hair cut. He was relatively quiet in comparison to past experiences. We're Stop. Uh, listen, this is going to be a long two hours. It's going to be a long week, and we're going to have more PFT Live for you right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.